today what we're going to look at is what I think to be the greatest proof that there is a God and the greatest proof that Christianity is the only solution to the problem of our world. And last week I told you, I was foolish by the way, last week I told you we were finishing up the foundation of wisdom. We were, we were laying a foundation, and I said last week was our last week to lay the foundation, but I was wrong, I was foolish, but I have left my foolish ways now. And now I have seen the light, and I understand that there is still one more thing we have to talk about in laying this foundation of wisdom in everyday life. And essentially, it's super easy. It's just understanding that there is a strange way to live. There is a way to live that is right, and there is a way to live that is wrong. I said it. Okay, so we're in Proverbs 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 and then jump to verse 20 and read verse 20 through 23. It says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give her your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Least strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not understand the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Now, verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, and embrace the bosom of the adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. All right, so these verses, verse 3 and verse 30 in particular, talk about the forbidden woman. Now, we looked at this last week, and we saw that folly or foolishness becomes personified as lady folly who is identified as an adulterous woman. So Lady Folly is an adulterous woman, and we got to understand this to understand this text as well, because there's more, than what's go, more going on than what meets the eye here. There's more than even just a warning against adultery going on here. What our verses are trying to show us is that there is a forbidden way to live that there is a foolish way to live, that there is a strange way to live, there's a foreign way to live. Look at, so this word that is interpreted in our text as forbidden, the Hebrew word is zara. And a lot of translators or translations, or English translations are trying to like tell us what this word is meaning. And there's a lot of different 
words that are used here. So some translations say the strange woman, some say the foreign woman, some say the adulterous woman, and ours says the forbidden woman. But what our translators are trying to accomplish is to show us that there is a wrong way to live that there is a strange way to live, a forbidden way to live. There is a way to live that is not part of the way you have been designed to live. You're made to live a certain way, and anything outside of that becomes harmful to you, and it becomes harmful to the people in your life, the people that you love, and here's what it's doing to you. It is robbing you of being fully alive, this forbidden way to live. So, for example... If I decided that I want to fly and I ran off of this platform and did a swan dive, it would likely cause harm to me, though you might get a good laugh about it. You might feel more alive, but I'm going to feel less alive. I'm going to leave here in pain and I'm going to leave here not living life to the way it's meant to be lived because I'm going to be in pain because I decided to do something that was foolish. I did something, I, I can't fly, and I tried to do something that was outside of the order of the way that I was designed. If you went to Mars and you stepped out of your spaceship, because you got a spaceship in your front yard and you just took it there, and you stepped out in a t-shirt and jeans, it is likely that you would not survive very long. Now, you would live for like probably eight seconds, and you take your first breath and you would know immediately, this is not a place where I have been designed to live in. I am operating outside of the order that has been set in place for me to live in. You actually can feel, I mean, you can be alive on Mars. You can live on Mars, and you can live on Mars for a few seconds, and those few seconds is essentially what it is like when we try to live outside of the order of the way we've been designed to live. So our text is saying there's a right way and a wrong way to live. And it's claiming that if you violate the order from which you've been designed to live, you will be less alive. You won't be living the life you're meant to live, and you will literally feel less alive. You're injuring yourself. You're becoming less human. You're becoming less of the version that you've been made to be. And look at verses 19 through 14. All those verses are saying, here's the repercussions. Here's the negative results of living a way that is strange to the way that you've been designed to live. And then look at verse 22 shows that when you live in this forbidden way of living, that you actually become ensnared in the cords of sin. What does that mean? Like, what does it mean to be ensnared in the cords of sin? So you think about like this. If you ever swam at the ocean, and there's a bunch of seaweed in front of you, and you try to swim through it, you would know that it is, I mean, almost impossible to do that. And here's the other thing that happens. There's a bunch of little crabs that get on the seaweed. And then they start biting you. And there's little bugs in the seaweed, and they start biting you and itching you and burning you. This is the cords of sin. And what ends up happening is we get the bugs on us. We, get the itch, we start itching. We start burning. We start getting bit. Because we're living in a way that we weren't designed to live. The same way we're not, I mean, don't swim through seaweed. So the cords of sin, the cords of the seaweed, they're wrapping around you. I think sometimes here's what happens. We have this view of God, and he's like up there watching us. And 
when we do something wrong, he's like, okay, let me make sure that this bad thing happens to this person because this person has done something wrong. Listen, he's made an order of creation, and he, and he doesn't have to do anything when I jump a swan dive off of this stage, I simply fall to the ground. The pain is caused because I've done something foolish out, that's outside of the design of this world, that's outside of the order of the way I've been created. So, there's a way for you to live. And when you don't live that way, it causes pain to you, to the people you love, it causes breakdown physically, emotionally, socially, culturally when we don't live in the way that we're meant to live. So, for example, you're meant to love. Like, human beings, we're not primarily thinkers, doers, or feelers. We are primarily lovers. We are designed to love. We are made to love. And when we don't love, we end up hurting ourselves emotionally, spiritually. Hey, you are designed to forgive, and if you do not forgive people, you're going to bring harm upon yourself and harm upon other people in your life. And you say, well, how, how would that happen? Well, let's get practical. Let's say there's someone who's done something to you, and, and you're having a hard, you can't, you're not going to forgive them. You say, I'm not going to do it. So you go on a date with your spouse, and you get out, and you see the person that you haven't forgiven. And then all of a sudden, anger starts building up inside, and, or sadness, or depression, or, or anxiety. And by the way, I mean, these are things that take years off of your life, so you're actually harming yourself because you haven't forgiven, because it's causing anxiety that you're seeing this person. But guess what else? You're on a date with your spouse, but you can't enjoy your date with your spouse because you're so worked up about seeing this person that you have not forgiven. And so, look, you're living less alive. You're harming yourself. You're harming the person that you're with. Our text is warning against adultery. It, says, it's, it actually lists, you're going to ruin your life, and you're going to lose friends because of this, and you're going to lose your reputation because of this. Or selfishness. Oh. Man, I just I can't get the attention off of myself. So what happens is you become consumed by your problems and you can't see the problems that other people have in your life. And you're, you're just thinking to yourself, man, you don't understand how I feel about this. You're letting me down. Meanwhile, you cannot see how you're letting others down. And you're losing friendships, but you can't figure out why it keeps happening. Okay, so, then... Well, how in the world do we get on this path where we stop doing this? How do, we how do we understand the way that the world is supposed to work so that we can actually be fully alive? Because we all want to be fully alive, right? This is what the Bible says, be abund life abundantly. We want to live the life we're meant to live. How do we feel fully alive? How do we know the way we've been designed to live? How do we make sure our lives don't look like this long swan dive? falling on our faces. Here's the problem with an order that has been set into motion. It means that there is a right way and a wrong way to live, and it means you don't get to determine what is right and wrong, and the what is the right way to live and the wrong way to live. There's a thinking 
that our culture has very heavily adopted. It says we're go- we, we are free to determine what is right or wrong for ourselves. We hear things like, oh man, if it's not hurting anybody, then what's the problem here? It's, here's a name for it. It's called moral relativism. And here's what it's telling us. A culture or a group of people get to determine what is right or wrong for that specific culture or group of people. But here's the problem with this. If a culture is determining what is right or wrong, then that means the Holocaust is okay. Because a group of people, a culture, has determined that it is okay for us to murder people. So we say, well, no, that doesn't sound right, but here's the problem. See, who gets to determine what is right or wrong? If a, how, who are we, by the way, to say that that's wrong? As soon as you say something ought to be, or should be, or is right, either there is a God who's claiming that there is an order to the way the world works, or if there is no God, then we're just functioning on opinions. We're just working on opinions, that means. But then if it's just opinions, then who are we to say that someone's opinion that murder is okay is wrong? Who are we to say that? We have, no, we have nothing to stand that argument on. If mass genocide is taking place at the other side of the world, who are we to get involved with that? Because all that is is a culture or a group of people saying, this is the way we think we should live. Who are we to get involved with that? And... Unless there's a God, of course. And then someone says, oh, don't be ridiculous. Everybody knows that murder is wrong. All that you're doing is adopting your cultural belief that murder is wrong, and you're pushing it on everybody else. And we would say, our moral relativism says, don't put your, push your beliefs on to me. Don't put your beliefs on to a different culture. Don't judge that culture for what they're doing. The premise of our verses is saying there is a strange way to live. Because God has designed there to be a good way to live, and it means that He has determined what is right or wrong for us. Now, let's be honest about this. You like that, that there is a standard, as long as that standard works for what you want. Watch. So, this is, so, this is funny to me. Um, I, maybe you won't think it's funny, but it's funny to me. So, here's what, here's what I have noticed. People will say, so the Bible talks about sex before marriage and says, you know what, sex is meant to be within the context of a marriage. But before people are married, they're kind of like, ah, you know, people got married way earlier back then. Like, ah, I don't know. But then watch what happens. As soon as they get married... And they're reading through the Bible, they say, oh, look, we must have missed this. Uh, I think that's true. And here's what's just happened. It is going in line with the wants. What do we want to do? Well, uh, you know, and we make all of these reasons why. So our standards of right living are only embraced when those standards work out for us. 
come on, admit it. And here's what else we do. Because we want freedom from the standards, we want the rest of the world to be held to a standard. We want the people around us to be held to a standard, but we want the standards to bend in our favor. We're ready for them to bend when it is convenient for us. That's why you go to the front of the line if you can. Like, oh, I do know what you've done it before. That's why you speed, but then someone passes by you going faster and you shake your head and you say, I can't believe people are driving that fast. <laughs> to determine the rules, but not have to live by them sounds amazing. Whether you want to admit it or not, come on. But you know what we're doing? We're trying to play God and we're not doing a very good job of it. It's saying everyone needs to follow the system, the order of things, but everything can bend for me, and that's okay. And then we say things like, oh, no, but you don't understand how hard my life has been. You don't understand why I've been doing the things that I've been doing. I say, okay, I get that, but still. Why do you think we don't really trust people in authority? Because we're perfectly okay with the rules bending for us, so we know how it's going to play out. We do want to play God, and here's what else we do. Let's see how you feel about this one. You might not like what I'm, saying, what I'm about to say. What we do is we like to find people who are like kind of playing God the same way that we do. And so we find people who have the same principles that we have, the same rules that we've adopted, and we say, yeah, that is the right way to live. Right there. That's it. And we rally together, and all we've really done is we found a bunch of people who think like we do so that we can be like, yeah, this is the right way to live, so that the rules can bend for us. Because we just found a bunch of people who think the same thing. Isn't it convenient that we all think the same thing and we want this to go this way, so this must be the right way to live? And all we've done is found the best way to get the rules to bend in our favor by finding more people who agree with us. We feel comfortable around people who are like us who think the same way that we do about sex or politics or religion or ethics or drugs, and we say, okay, look at all the dummies out there. Huh. Can you believe them? What have we just done? We've just looked down on others saying, we've got it all figured out. We found the right rules. We are like the gods, so we would never say that. But our actions... Our pride and arrogance says it all. Here's what our verses are trying to get, get you to do. They're trying to get you to realize, I can't really trust myself in determining what is right or wrong because I'm going to sway it based off of what I want. But let's be honest, our wants are constantly changing. So we have to say, I need God to tell me how I ought to live. Otherwise, I'm going to just bend everything to what is convenient for me. I need to listen to God or else I'm going to fall in the strange living, foolish living, and I'm just going to be doing swan dives my whole life, not even realizing it. That's what we do. Without God, we just find other people who are willing to do the same type of swan dive that we do. And we look at all the other people who aren't doing the same swan dive we do, and we're pointing at them and laughing at them all the while. Look how dumb we look swan diving off of platforms, falling on our faces, yet laughing at other people along the way. We 
we got to say, okay, how does God's, we say, okay, I need to, uh, okay, fine. We need to listen to God in the way he tells us to live. Okay, so then we go to God's words and you say, well, how do I know that this is really God's word? I mean, how do I really trust the Bible? And, and listen, that's a whole other sermon and we talk about that a lot. So just keep coming and keep listening because we're going to get to that. We revisit it all the time. But here's what else you might be thinking right now. Does it always work out in our favor if we live in line with the order that we've been created to live? If we live the way that God has told us to live, does it always work out in our favor? And the answer is no. You say, what? Let me explain. As we become wiser, what we realize is that generally there is a way that the world works. If you do this, here's what happens. And you realize generally this is how it works. But then, as, you re- as we read further into Proverbs, what we see is there's exceptions to the rules. That sometimes it doesn't work out in our favor. Sometimes, for your job, if you lie, you might get a promotion, but if you tell the truth, you're going to get fired. So what do you do? Well, if you do what God tells you to do, you're going to get fired. So it has not worked out. In the long run, yes, it works out. But in the short run, it doesn't always work out well to listen and live the way that God's telling you to live. We see in another wisdom book, other wisdom literature in the Bible, the book of Job. Job lives this beautifully perfect life. Well, he lives a great life. Not perfect, but... He is a righteous man. He is a wise man. He lives well. He treats people well. And yet, horrible things happen to Job. Why? Here's why. The order that the way the world works, it has been tainted. The order's gotten out of whack. How? Here's how. We started living strangely. And as soon as we started living strange, as soon as we started living in a forbidden way, as soon as we lived in a way that we weren't meant to live, the world became strange. And the order of the world got all messed up. The world is broken. The world is fallen. So on, on Tuesday, we took Cruz up, our son Cruz, up to Gainesville for an IV treatment. And while we were there, there was this, li- this adorable little girl, three years old, who has cancer. And she's so sweet and so, like, this is a lovable little girl. And her parents seemed like awesome people. There are people all around this world doing horrible things who have a completely healthy life. Is that fair? Not at all. But this, this is what's happening. The world has become strange. It's not working right. It's broken. If you're going to come to the place where you have wisdom, you have to understand. See, if you're going to come to the place where you trust God, or if you come to the place where you finally trust God, or if you want to trust God more, you've got to understand that our world is broken. And it is not God's fault that it is broken, but it's broken because we have lived in a strange way, and then the world became strange. 
It became foreign. That's why you say something is wrong here because this is a world that you are not designed for. But how did it happen? Because we started living strangely. We are both victims of this world, but we're also part of the problem in this world. And then look at our last verse. Last verses. It says, The Lord's eyes see all that we do, and God ponders our path. You know what that means? Because God is just. He's holy. It means one day he's going to make everything right. It means everything that is wrong will one day be made right. That is both good news and it is bad news, because here's why. Listen to this. Psalm 94, verse 8 and 10, 8 through 10 says, Understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, meaning God, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? So in one sense we say, okay, good. The normal order is coming. God is going to fix this. But then we say, wait, will I fit in that world? Because haven't I been the one who has part of the problem and caused this? See, if, if we live in a forbidden way and we enter into what is perfect, then what is perfect is no longer perfect. So the only way for God to bring the world to be the way that it's meant to be is to wipe out all that is wrong with the world. So, the wisdom is saying, are you part of the problem? And wisdom answers for you and says, yeah, you are. And we say, oh, hold on. You've got to understand. Like, you have to understand why I've done the things that I've done. I've had a hard life. This is, these are the things that have happened to me. And look what we're doing now. We're trying to get things to bend in our favor again. According to wisdom, we have played the fool and justice is coming for us. So what do you do? Look at verse 6. It says, The foolish don't ponder the path of life. They keep swan diving. But the wise teacher says, Leave the path and all's going to be well. So how do you get to the path? How do you get to the place to where, man, there's a huge problem for me. How is this problem resolved? How will we get the world that we long for? How are the cords of sin going to get off of me? In John chapter 10, how do, we get on, how do we get on the right way? How do we get on the right path? How do we get the life we long for? Listen to what Jesus says, John chapter 10. I am the way, the truth, in the life. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's lived the life that was supposed to be lived. Now, you don't get the world you long. This is, this is the claim of Christianity. You don't get the world that you long for until you go to him. Why does it have to be him? Christianity says, God, seeing all that we have done, out of love, says, I'm going to fix all of 
and I'm going to fix people that I love. And so he comes down into the world. He comes into the strange world, yet he does not live in a way that is strange. He does not do the swan dive, but guess what happens to him? He gets the pain that comes at the end of the swan dive, even though he didn't do the swan dive. Except it's not just the pain that comes because you violated the order of this world. It comes, it's the pain that comes at the end of the destruction of this world. Yet he takes it. Why? So that as you do your swan dive, he catches you. And your eyes were closed and you opened them. And you know what you find? You find yourself in the arms of your Savior. hanging on a cross, catching you with his arms spread open. And he's on that cross, and he's holding you up because by the weight of putting all your weight in his on the nails, he's holding you up. He got the end of what was coming to you. He took it. He made it his own so that he could then rise from the grave and bring you into the world that you are made for and change your heart so that you will live the life he's called you to live for eternity and on. That news is beautiful, but it's only beautiful until you understand that we have lived in a way that is forbidden. And until you understand that, until you live, understand we've lived a strange way, that doesn't make any sense. It does seem like foolishness until you understand the weight of your sin. But then do you know what comes next? A weight of glory, of God's love that just is after you. And you are showered in it. And you say, oh man, I am way more loved than I thought was possible. All right, let's pray. God, teach us to go to you. God, all of us here have lived in ways that are forbidden for us to live, yet you have said, ah, I have made a way. So Jesus, we, we, we thank you, and we ask that we would understand what you have done for us. Not intellectually, though we want to, but that we would understand with our whole hearts that you are the God who's come for us, and despite how foolish it is, it is true. And then finally, when we believe it's true, we see the wisdom behind it all. So God, make us wise so that we will turn to you, the one who's lived the way that we were meant to live. Help us follow you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.